Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, everybody? Jensen Cummings here. Thank you for tuning in. Today, I am talking with Erasmo Cassiano, a.k.a. Raz, who is the chef owner of Create Cooking School in Denver, Colorado. Got to really talk about making menudo with mom, grilling meat with dad, who he says can start a fire on a wish. Absolutely love that. We get to hear about his first chef who scared the shit out of him, as well as being able to have a cooking school and treating his students as if they were guests in his restaurant. Appreciate you as always for listening. I hope you enjoy. Talk about Dallas, Texas a little bit, and very specifically, let's talk about your your parents because clearly they set the tone for what now is your life path. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, being born and raised in Dallas was, uh, uh, as a Hispanic male, you know, it was, you know, it had all different types of chapters growing up, but like, you know, I give everything, the, the place I'm at now, everything that I've learned, all the life lessons that I've had, I, I attribute right back to my parents, uh, my mom, Santa Lucina, um, and my father, Jose Manuel Rojas. Um, my dad's from Bolivia, <clears throat> and uh, he uh, migrated over uh, long back when I think I was maybe one or two years old. He's actually my stepdad, but I call him my dad because he is my father. He he raised me. So um, my mom, born a Mexican, um, descent, moved up to Texas. So already just had a lot of uh, Mexican you know, influences when it came to food. And actually, my mom will admit too, she wasn't the best cook uh, when she first had my sister and I, I have an older sister uh, who's deaf and she lives in Alabama now. Um, but she, I kind of remember what, <clears throat> watching her grow up uh, or while, while I was growing up in the kitchen, just trying out new things. And she'd never measure anything, you know, she'd get ideas from from my grandmother and then just kind of put some stuff together. But you know, one sign of things was like her menudo. Every once a year, maybe twice a year, depending on how cold it got in Texas, which was pretty rare, um, she would try pozole and menudo at the same time. She'd make a batch of each. And I'm talking, as a kid, these look like giant cauldrons to feed like a small village. Uh, but, you know, she starts off by toasting chilies and, and garlic, and I can, I can smell all of these things uh, waking up. And it was a great way to wake up on a Saturday morning is just coughing your lungs out <laughs> from the toasted chilies. Uh, but I'd, I'd go down there and she'd be trying the, the soups, you know, the, the, the broths, the stocks, the, the base of her menudo and her pozole. And I just remember each year it getting better and better and better. And now she's just got it down to an art where she can just do it with her eyes closed and all she can, she knows that it's perfectly seasoned with her sense of smell. And um, my, the fa my father's side, um, you know, growing up, he- hey, Can I pause you real quick? I, yeah, I really want to talk about mom. This is, okay. this is really, really good. So there's a couple things when I'm listening to you that just jumped out at me. 
one, Menudo and Pozole are no fucking joke. Like those are not, those are not easy. Those aren't starter dishes, right? right. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that's really interesting. Uh, and the thing about moms that I, mm-hmm. this thing that I heard that was really like struck me was the reason that us chefs can't cook as good as our mothers is because the secret ingredient is in their hands. For sure. There is, there is a flavor that comes from the way that they actually use their hands and you mentioned her not measuring mm-hmm. my mom, amazing cook. And I've tried to do a bunch of her dishes and I just, mm-hmm. they're just never as good. Betsy, my wife, she'll fucking point out. She's like, nah, it's all right. Damn, <laughs> cold blooded. And so yeah. I really, really love hearing that she didn't measure. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I want to get into it later because now I really understand your drive to be a teacher, an instructor, to continue to try to develop those recipes because clearly that's mm-hmm. what your mom did and you saw right. the fruits of that labor, right? You didn't just wake mm-hmm. up one day and she was the best cook, so it was automatic. You saw mm-hmm. the time and the effort. So I really, really loved that. And Menudo, mm-hmm. uh, you know what? Love the menudo. I can only chew on tripe for so long before, like, <laughs> you know. But I really sure. love the flavor profile of menudo, and I mm-hmm. loved growing up in San Diego how mm-hmm. it was the Saturday Sunday hangover cure. And hundred percent. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so was that part of it? Dad was oh, yeah. grilling out on Friday nights. <laughs> Everyone was drinking cervezas, and then mom's making menudo on Saturday and yeah, yeah. getting everybody to to rise again. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think, you know, and, and for us, uh, Menudo and Pozole were more of the uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas tradition um, alongside with tamales. And that's why, you know, a lot of Mexicans have what I like to call the, the holy trinity. We've got high cholesterol, high blood pressure and high blood sugar. <laughs> and that's just from like, you know, like, you know, eating on masa all day and, and then washing it down with some really nice fatty broths. Uh, but uh, no, actually, with my with my mother, um, her her menudo now you you were talking about how like you were talking about earlier how you could only chew on tripe for so long uh she's got it down to where it's it's a technically a braised meat so it's super tender to the tooth uh but it still holds its shape without clouding up the the broth and that's something that i can appreciate not necessarily a goal that she had in mind when cooking and i think that goes along with a lot of moms you know they just want to make sure it tastes good and that they're that their uh that their family's fed and uh she really got it down to just you can smell it you know it's right um the the clarity of the of the broth is just something to be really astounded at and and plus the texture the aroma the flavor is is all there you know and then she just does a little little picado of uh of onion some jalapeno and a little bit of cilantro done deal i mean that's whether you're hungover or not, whether you're soul searching or not, you found it. You know, it's it's on that first sip of the menudo or pasole, uh, she's got it down to just a beautiful execution of art. I love everything that you're saying. Now let's talk about pops a little bit. So dad, uh, fire starter, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. talk about what cooking with dad was like, especially in contrast to cooking with mom. Oh, absolutely. My dad is more of a, I mean, he's a, He's a firecracker, man. He's uh, his his passion for life and and enjoying uh, all things of life, whether it be standing outside or or uh, eating some delicious food with you know friends and family. It 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 exuded into my persona. Now I think um, he would always man the grill. As 
more often than not, we were cooking outside. So my mom would be inside, a, <clears throat> especially in Texas, um, it'd be pretty hot, but he's like, let's go start a fire. It's, it's 5 p.m. I'm going to go start the grill. Uh, your mom's been marinating the meats for a few hours. She's got the rice ready. She's got the frijoles ready. She's got the tostadas ready. She's got all the sauces ready. Now it's time to, to put up some really delicious meat. And he could just, I don't know, he could just start a fire on a, on a wish, honestly, um, with like some soaked ass, like, <laughs> you know, uh, wood timber. Like it was just, he could start a fire. And, uh, you know, he'd always maintain this grill. I think he had the same grill for like 20 plus years. And it was like, eroded at the bottom you know from it just catching the rain and he just still he loved that grill I still remember it very well um but he would just start the fire and once that meat hit that grill it was just mm, you could smell the the salt you could smell the pepper uh you can smell the lime juice any other spices that my mom decided to use uh it just came together really nicely and we'd all just gather around the table and one of the best parts about growing up is that <clears throat> my parents would always prepare quite a bit of food and I always wonder I was like oh who's coming over and my mom and dad would always answer oh you know maybe the maybe my aunts and uncles maybe the cousins maybe the neighbors like who knows whatever but the thing is there's plenty of food for everyone to uh, to enjoy so we kind of have like this open door policies on Saturdays and Sundays um, and we just kind of let people know hey cook out at our place show up if you'd like bring up bring some Tupperware if you want to take some home or whatever it may be and I really, really loved that growing up. I loved the anticipation of seeing, uh, you know, family members or cousins or friends walk in, enjoy each other's company, and then, you know, at the end of the night leave. And I think that's what kind of drew me to the restaurant industry because we kind of do the same thing, you know, on the line, right? You're like in the kitchen waiting for people to come in so you can make them something. Uh, and yeah, that's, I love the dynamic that both my parents brought to the proverbial table. It feels so ritualistic, right? Like just even listening to you uh, speak on it, it's just, it's even what you are cooking maybe matters so much less. It's why you were going outside and starting the fire and like being immersed in that experience, I think is something so important. And it's so rooted in Latino culture. I was talking to another chef and, and he put it really great. He said a lot of the, typical American meal is almost like you're mourning that process of sitting down and eating dinner versus a celebration. And I loved hearing that. It's like, mm -hmm. got to eat your vegetables. It was like a, a chore, a task, a punishment Absolutely. versus a celebration of food and that ritual. And it didn't matter who was coming over. You guys were cooking. I really, really exactly. like hearing that. That's super important. And so that really set the tone for you clearly and from from both parents a lot of times you have one or the other right mm -hmm. there's one that takes over i love that dad was outside cooking and mom was inside cooking and there was just mm -hmm. like a, a nice symphony there that, that oh yeah i mean set the, the tone for sure honestly and i love the word that you just use a symphony uh you know it didn't go without some some chores you know so saturday mornings usually started off with uh me waking up abruptly to to coughing uh as my mom was toasting chilies or you know doing something like that um but that was our alarm to be like okay get get the house cleaned up and we'll we'll enjoy each other's company very very shortly like you know what you need to do you know so they 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 taught my sister and i at a very young age it's like <clears throat> this is this house is a community within a, a 
these four walls, us four people. Your mom and I are working very hard uh, to bring food to the table, uh, you know, whether it be with two jobs, one job, or, you know, working overtime. Um, we provide a roof over your head, food on the table, et cetera. What are you going to contribute? So, you know, at a very young age, we're like, whoa, well, shit, we have to do something. Let's clean the bathrooms, let's clean the kitchen, let's wash the dishes after they're done. You know, let's, let's, let's provide as well as they are providing us. So uh, we would grow up, we, growing up, we'd clean up on Saturdays. By that time, like I said, my mom's got just all the salsas done, all the meats marinated. Um, and coming back to the symphony, just the smells, the, the, uh, the sounds of everything, the sizzling, the toasting, the grinding, uh, the blender going, um, all, all that really did make a, a, a nice symphony of a multi, I want to say like it's a multi-sensory experience, you know, because that's what food is. I mean, it's, I feel like from start to finish, uh, it's a multi-sensory experience. You, you see it, you smell it, you taste it, you can hear it. I mean, it's, it's really quite astounding to me. And that's what I loved about it growing up. I'm literally starving right now. <laughs> I, I can, I can f feel, I want all of that. I want all of that. And, and you, you talked about tamales and like the, the experience. My um, grandmother through marriage is from Mexico City. And so we had the same. She would make chalupas with just like asadero cheese and tomatillo salsa in the morning. Mm. And then um, you'd have the tamal for dinner. So we, we had the turkey and the ham and the tamales. And then we also had the Japanese side. So we'd have you know sashimi or something so i love mm -hmm. <laughs> i love the symphony even across uh, oh, cultural sure. lines which is super super fun so clearly foundation locked in and then you got into the industry 15 years old brahms ice cream shop in duncanville mm -hmm. texas uh, yep tell us about that i'm always always <laughs> and everyone who listens to this always hears me say the same thing again and again the way we find ourselves in the industry says a lot about our trajectory within the industry. And I'm always fascinated by it. So was it, you were hooked so, because it was family. Was it, I just need a job. Your dad says, oh, for sure. your ass out there, <laughs> or scoop ice cream. What was it? No, I think, uh, I think you can ask both my parents. Uh, I was pretty eager to get started uh, on working. You know, it was one of those cases where the teenager wanted to grow up faster than, uh, than time was letting them, you know? Um, I was looking for jobs, applying, at, you know, at the age of 14. And, you know, as soon as my birthday hit, I think maybe a month later, got my first job at, at Brahms Ice Cream. Um, it is a chain, uh, mostly uh, in Texas and Oklahoma, I want to say. Uh, but it is a, it's like a mini, okay, check this. You get a, a burger shop, an ice cream and shake shop, and a small grocery. So because they have Brahms Farms, so they sell their own milk and dairy products there, their own cheeses, uh, and a lot of their own sweets, um, like their brownies and things like that. So I was kind of like working the register at first, which I just hated because I had to use, uh, this is before the current POS systems, I had to use internal, uh, internal math <laughs> to give change back. So I just hated be, being put on the spot there. Um, and but they put me as an ice cream scooper and they had like, they, they had an interesting way uh, to control costs. And I see this now as an, you know, chef owner. And I saw it a lot earlier too, after I, you know, uh, went to culinary school, they said square dip. Okay. Cause they had square containers of these, you know, two gallon, three gallon uh, 
buckets of ice cream flavors. They, they said, make sure you square dip, go from one corner to the next, and that's a perfect scoop of ice cream. And the reason they did is to limit, obviously, uh, waste, any, anything caught in the corner, um, and so that it stays nice and uniform while you're, skip, while you're scooping. Uh, it, provide, it, you know, it, it doesn't allow for a lot of frostbite for anything that stays up, um, stays open. And I was like, wow, they're, they're controlling some food costs there. That's, that's pretty cool to look at back at now. Anyway. Uh, Did you but, recognize that when you were 15 or you recognize? I don't know. I recognized that I was working <laughs> an ice cream shop with some burgers right behind me. And, and I loved my job during the summer. I mean, uh, you know, you're, you're giving people these tastes of ice cream uh, and they, you know, they immediately get a smile on their face. Like, I don't think there's anybody out there that could eat a scoop of ice cream without getting a smirk on their face. So that was kind of like one of my first like realizations. Like I really enjoy being back here, even though I'm just scooping something and handing it to people. But a couple weeks later, I do remember that, uh, oh, her name was Miss Penny. She was a, a manager there. Uh, Miss Penny, she's a sweet old lady. She was like, hey, Erasmo. At this point, I did not have the nickname Raz. Um, like, Erasmo, could you maybe want to work the grill station? I'm like, sure. It was a flat top griddle. Uh, with a fryer right next to it and like a uh, what do you call those butter rollers where you roll your your breads on to toast them on the flat top and man did I love that job you know just working flipping burgers you know these patties were made from scratch at the time um, the crinkle cut fries were used were cut on a wall mount crinkle cutter which I don't think I haven't seen in a while but I remember just cutting these crinkle cut fries right into uh, buckets of water um, and I just love the whole process of putting together a really great burger um, and crinkle cut you know frying the fries making guacamole for the guacamole burger like I, you know there was a, a little bit of food prep in there that I really really started to enjoy um, and at the same time you know I'm watching Emma Lagasse I'm watching Martin Yang with Yen Can Cook or Yen Yen Can Cook and uh you know, Julia Childs is still coming up on PBS. I, I really enjoyed uh, watching their shows and at the same time trying to, you know, just being a 15-year-old kid with imagination back on the grill at a at a ice cream shop, um, making these burgers with that same kind of uh, love that, you know, Emma would put in or, or Julia Child or even Martin Yen. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. It's clear you were hooked and... Yeah. Especially, I love that you you caught the the joy, uh, those moments of hospitality where somebody just had that smile, that smirk, as you said. That energy is so, so important. It's easy for us to forget about how we're here to serve our guests. And so you were in, all in, right, as we always like to do, a little best served on icebreaker game. This is our, so what's the scenario, guilty pleasures version, Raz, I'm going to have you as a chef. We get a little chefy sometimes. We get super high end, but sometimes we just like a little guilty pleasure. So you're going to give us a few scenarios played out and you tell us the guilty food pleasure that you might be bringing to the party. So first off, family gathering. We talked about menudo, pasole, you're cooking on the grill. These are, these are profound, culturally relevant, high end dishes. But if you were to go to a family gathering and bring a little something guilty pleasure wise what might that be guilty pleasure wise i'll probably bring a meat and cheese board and olives i love 
I love being able to pick and make my own perfect bite. I can dig it. It's uh, you're making your own adult lunchables. I'm into mm-hmm. it. All right, you're going to a, a picnic with friends, and uh, they have high expectations. The chef is coming, but you're gonna bring something a little lowbrow. What might that be? Oh, hot Cheetos and ranch dip, buddy. <laughs> My man, <laughs> like that was a no doubter. No, that's it. I'm sorry. Like you don't cook for me, so I'm just gonna bring you some chips and dip, buddy. <laughs> and and I bet the looks that you get first is perplexed, and then they go. <sighs> all right cool because i know sometimes people are super intimidated to like bring food to any gathering we might be at as chefs so i'm into it 100 percent. all right you're at the ballpark you're watching a game and uh not a lot of high-end options yet you're paying like that's high-end options mm-hmm. what's that guilty pleasure when you're at the at the ball game oh i might have to say the chili cheese nachos with a, just a shit ton of jalapenos on there those pickled jalapenos they're the best and the worst aren't they yeah, i remember they being are. in elementary school and having jalapeno eating contests you know because i'm like the 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 half white japanese kid and i'm gonna challenge all the chicanos to a For sure hot eating contest and i'd crush them all the time and i those jalapenos taste like that memory i love it all about it late night maybe after the bars what is that guilty snack that you're going to be throwing who knows throwing in the toaster oven the microwave <laughs> what is that late night treat for you oh man uh i'm gonna have to say i'm pulling into a 7-eleven and grabbing myself a, a chicken taquito or five <laughs> or ten or entirely too many <laughs> hating yourself in the morning but just happy as a pig and shit i can just imagine it <laughs> now do you much. fancy them up do you like i'll throw some cheese on oh them no and, man I, no, I, no. usually it's me you know hovering over the little container that they give you in the car so like there's a little bit of shame in there but uh at the end of the day i'm a grown-ass man i'll i'll, <laughs> I'll live up to my my mistakes later <laughs> You don't even make it to the house. I love no. it. I can imagine the shirt with cheese and, and bits of something that's chicken-esque on your shirts. Uh, amazing. So what's the scenario? Guilty pleasure. That is a perfect best served on Icebreaker game. Thanks for playing. Tino Kid from Dallas, Texas, going to culinary sure. school in Rhode Island. And then just maybe what the culinary school was, experience was like for you. No, for sure. I mean, even right. I mean, the, the last two years of high school were pretty important too. We opened up a, uh, we, we, we started, I, I, at this point I knew that I wanted to become a chef, like just tried and true. Um, I didn't see any other aspects of the industry that I was necessarily interested in, except for the, the hospitality aspect of it. Um, which I believe is the most important part, but in high school, we I attended a culinary arts class because they were doing more of the technical skills, vocational skills uh, in different wings of my high school. And we noticed that it was more of like an upgraded uh, home ec shop. So a couple of my best friends who are still best friends to this day, uh, who were interested in the world of culinary as well at the time, uh, we we put together a plan with the, with teacher who brought in uh, different chefs from around the state to come and do demonstrations for us or take us on field trips, et cetera. But we actually got a $300,000 grant from the city of Grand Prairie to build out a commercial kitchen, teaching kitchen in our high school. Um, and that, you know, that led to a scholarship that eventually led me to uh, Johnson Wells University in Rhode Island. And uh, that was an important part 
time in my life because I could see that, you know, with enough commitment and drive, even though we we're just a, a few punk ass kids uh, trying to cook in some cool kitchens and get cool equipment. Um, we, we set out for a goal and we, we achieved it with the help of Miss Harris, our culinary arts teacher, you know, and my three best friends, Kendrick, Leroy, Seth. We, we had a blast. Let me tell you, senior year, wearing chef coats down the halls and feeding the teachers on their, during their staff breaks was pretty awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, leading to Rhode Island, uh, being a Texas boy with no hardcore accent, uh, it was actually not not too bad. We actually got along with a lot of the the northeasterners. I know that they uh, sometimes get a bad rep, especially like New Yorkers or Bostonites or whatever it may be. But I we we became friends with uh, a lot of folks up there. And what I really loved about the Northeast, honestly, was their access to just all the best seafood. Um, and that's what kind of drew me to Providence. It was a beautiful city. It's a beautiful town. I didn't actually work while out there except for the school at Johnson & Wales University. I worked in their, uh, their um, oh, what do you call it, their storeroom. Um, but I did make a lot of friends, contacts, um, and I just kind of kept my head down and I didn't want to let down my parents. Still, a, you know, still a college kid, still went out to drink, still, you know, dabbled in, some few, in a few things. Uh, but at the end of the day, I wanted to make sure that my grades were still uh, on par. And once, and like I said, at this point, I wanted to be a chef. Um, once I hit uh, in inventory management and cost and food cost analysis, that's where I said, okay, let's take a couple steps back here. I, I'll, first and foremost, like restaurants is a business. You know, the hospitality industry is a business. Um, it, and I felt at this point, I felt like anybody could cook if they really wanted to. Um, so it's not that I stopped paying attention to the the technicalities of what makes food food and you know French basis and uh, you know like that, but I knew that I could learn that during uh, my time in the industry. So I wanted to make sure that I was deeply rooted actually in the business side of things. And I think that's what kind of gave me an edge at such a young age because I got my first sous chef position at the tender stupid age of 20 <laughs> um working in 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 dallas actually uh i came back to dallas uh but in in rhode island um i i i think that's when i honed in on my focus on okay treat this as a business then then figure out how to enjoy your job you know um i think that that's the number one thing what, what brought me to colorado eventually was uh First off, the weather up there was not the nicest that I, I mean, I didn't enjoy it. It was like a halfway rain and snow type thing. So it was very, very cold and very stingy. Like the rain was very stingy, like once it hit your face. Um, I got kind of tired of that and I figured I wanted to go to the mountains and see what it was like and to see if, you know, we could learn a little bit more about uh, game meats and, and, you know, cooking with, with game meats. Um, so I took the summer after my first year in Providence, went back to Dallas, uh, worked at uh, Foray, downtown Dallas in the West Village. It used to, I think it's closed now, but it was, in a, it was like a, it was my first upscale uh, casual restaurant. So everything was still made from scratch. And this was where I met uh, Chef Jeff Machete. 
very scary last name, not spelled the way, you know, Machete is sounded, but Jeff Machete was at this point just a, I mean, he's still a badass, but he's a, ta- he was a towering man. Uh, and he scared the living shit out of me. Um, he is the one that I can definitely say, uh, whip me into shape to focus on the, my career and make sure that I don't take any shortcuts. I remember one, one day, particularly when I started with Jeff, um, I was prepping. Yeah, I was prepping calamari and, uh, I was just cutting calamari. And at this point I've been there for about a month over the summer break. And I'm just, I'm just, I just stick like calamari every day and I'm kind of getting fed up with it. Right. Uh, and he walks up, I, I tell him, Hey chef, I think I'm ready to, to get on the line. He goes, Oh, you think you're, you're ready. That's cool. He like grabs me an apron. He's like, all right, go join, go join first year on the line there. And uh, we start prepping. I get my ass just handed to me on the line. Um, we, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't even remember how many covers we were doing, but I was getting lost with the tickets. I was getting lost with the appetizers. I was getting lost with the salads, just nothing. Uh, so I just kind of look at him and he's like, okay, cool. You can go back. Right. <laughs> and it was just kind of a very like, uh, culture shock to me. That's like, oh, okay, there's real life. <laughs> Uh, after corners, well, it's not an automatic thing. Uh, another thing that came to mind too is when I was, I was running the the pantry station, uh, and we had a really nice uh, lemon curd tart um, dessert that went with some really uh, just beautifully kind of a what do you call them, macerated berries that were or there were strawberries macerated in port or supposed to be port. So I couldn't find the port. So jackass, little 17-year-old me, 18-year-old me, decides to grab some red wine, a little bit of sugar, uh, and then toss the, sh- the strawberries in that. And I remember him doing line check. He brings a bucket of spoons, and he's just going down the line, tasting his sauces, uh, taste, you know, checking the weights of the meats on the steak cuts. And he comes up to He just looks at the macerated strawberries. He's like, what is that? I go, those are macerated strawberries. He's like, you use port? And I just look at him, I just stay quiet. And he just like grabs, <laughs> grabs it, throws it right in the trash. And he tells me, let me tell you something. When you own your own restaurant, you can do whatever the hell you want. This is my name here. Okay. This is my name. You know, you're, I know it seems like it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal. Everything here is a big deal because it is my name here. It is our name as a team and my name right now. So that, you know, he literally made me cry. Um, and he just told me, don't give me the waterworks, just turn it around or you're out of here. And after that, I, I just remember putting my head down and just doing as I was told, <laughs> uh, following recipes, not taking any shortcuts because shortcuts do not get you anywhere, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting chills listening to you because I have visceral memories uh, of exactly that. So there are a couple things to unpack with when you're talking about about chef jeff so the uh the moment that he puts you on the line and then as you tell yourself kid you're not ready i I think i think it's very very interesting that self-awareness that self-realization a lot of people in that moment will cower and and give up why for you was that a moment that you remember as fuel for your fire to get you to say, okay, I got to step up my game. First off, it's a great question. Um, 
I think what it came down to is I wanted to prove him wrong. Um, at this point, I didn't like him. <laughs> I was afraid of him. I respected him, but I didn't like him. And I wanted to prove him wrong. Um, and there was nothing that, that he, there was not likable about him, except I've only experienced him in that, you know, that executive chef role as a person who, you know, controls the menus, controls the line and, uh, you know, is responsible for executing services every day. Uh, so at that, at that point, I said, you know what, I need to prove him wrong, which is a very, for me, kind of a selfish way of looking at it. Um, looking back at it now, it, it wasn't about him. It was about my performance and the shortcuts that I was taking. Uh, so even though it was, it was about me proving him wrong, it was like looking internally, it was about proving myself wrong and then proving to myself that I could do the job that is needed or that is asked of me. Um, you know, from then on, I, I worked through the summer with him. Uh, you know, I noticed myself coming in extra early to make sure that everything was prepared in time and punching in later, you know, uh, making sure that everything was a spot on before his line checks, before he checked the sauces, before he checked everything. Um, and I noticed that one of my, uh, one of the line cooks that were that was working with me, Marcos, he was actually responsible for all the breads and desserts there. And Marcos would always come in about 15 minutes early. He'd always come in with a box of cereal. <laughs> he'd come in 15 minutes early and he'd have a seat and he'd just enjoy himself some cereal and a cup of coffee. And I remember one, one day um, I came in, you know, he comes in, he's got his box of cereal. He's like, hey, uh, do you want to have a bowl of cereal? He's like, oh no, I gotta, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. He's like, hey, take a deep breath, okay? You're, you've been doing this for, you know, like eight straight weeks where you're just working, because I, I was working quite a few, like a lot of hours over the summer. I didn't want to take any breaks or anything. Um, so I was working doubles pretty much every day. And he was like, just 15 minutes is not gonna make or break you, especially if you're showing up early. So it's okay to take a deep breath, enjoy a cup of coffee, enjoy this bowl of cereal with me. He's like, we got it. We'll, we'll go through the list together. We'll, we'll knock it out pretty quickly. You'll see. So like, that was the first time where I actually had a meditation, you know, a, a 10 minutes of meditation before a shift started, which I look at now as very, very important. You know, if it wasn't for Marcos, I felt like I would have had a heart attack at the age of like, you know, 20, easy. But he taught me to just stop, smell the roses, or at this point, smell the coffee, eat your bowl of cereal, then get on with your day. Um, and I think he's the first one, Marcos, was the first one to teach me to uh, take care of myself before taking care of others too. So M Marcos is a fucking hero. Yes. Like, 100%. I talk about, you know, we use the hashtag unsung hospitality heroes. We're always trying to get people to, to acknowledge others uh, within the industry. And man, Marcos is the archetype for everything that I want that idea to be because they're unicorns in this industry because we're, we have this such a tough guy, tough gal mentality. And it is part of what drives our dedication, our determination and mm -hmm. our ambition and all that. It's also part of what is, can be toxic and is not sustainable, right? It's, it's polarizing. It's, it pulls in both directions. Absolutely. And somebody like Marco saying, take a minute 
and have a bowl of cereal is everything. <laughs> like it's everything. And I absolutely love hearing that story. I, are you still connected with Marcos at all? You know what? I don't know if he's on Facebook anymore, but I did have another friend who was at that same time pop up recently. And he's like, Hey, is this, is this the right one? And I'm like, Furisio, you handsome bastard. Like, he, he was another guy who worked right next to me on the line who, who we, we kind of came up together. We're both young and, uh, you know, he was, he was an immigrant um, at the time. I think he's, he's like, like hardcore American now, but he's like, he, he, he taught me how to have fun on the line, you know? So even though we're getting our asses kicked, like this is what we live for. You know, he'd always be like, all right, like right before the ship started or right before the dinner rush started, he'd always do like a couple, a couple of hops in the kitchen. And like he'd be singing a song, whether it be in his head or out loud, um, making sure that he was in a good mood before the shift actually started. And that kind of just set the tone for everybody during the day. We all loved working with Fusio. And he'd always like, you guys ready? Like everybody's ready? Like we're all feeling good. And then boom, you know, we all get smacked around for a few hours. And at the end of the day, you know, we knew we did a good job when the chef would walk through the kitchen and shake everybody's hand individually right before he uh, finished off his uh, you know, ad admin hours and went home for the day. So, uh, Fusio is another shout out too. And I'm probably going to end up tagging him on Facebook after this for sure. Yeah. I really want you to track down Marcos so badly, <laughs> so, so badly, because that's exactly the kind of person that I want to talk to. And I want to bottle that magic because it's so important. And I love hearing all of these stories in the context of you're so young, right? You're, you're so moldable still at that point, even though you got bravado and ego and think you know it, and you're getting slapped down and fighting back, all of those things, so important. It's like the hero's journey. Then you have guides, like these two guys that kind of take you under their wing a little bit and show you, you know, another way than the mm -hmm. only way that you knew. So you had all of the things that we need to set the tone for who we are in the industry mm -hmm. encapsulated in this, summer which i think is very important for people listening to to kind of seek that out and be open to both sides of that equation like Absolutely. being being put in your place and being supported and, and taking a moment and i think the more that we can do that for each other i really like hearing that very important for people listening to it so mm -hmm. and it happened so early on so that really laid the groundwork for you so let's go uh contemporary now now you mm -hmm. have Create Cooking School mm -hmm. in the Stanley Marketplace, a cool uh, food hall, mixed uh, retail type space mm -hmm. with shops and boutiques and restaurants. Uh, really cool, really hip, really trendy. And you have the cooking school there. I am very interested in Nicole Swan. I love that mm -hmm. you gave a shout out to somebody who is an instructor there, just somebody that you really admire and clearly wanted to have as part of your team. So. Tell us about Nicole and, and how she specifically really fits this mold that clearly is set from very early age of, of trying to inspire people around food, mm -hmm. teach people, and take people who were your mother, who wanted to learn and get better and weren't a great cook, but through time and effort and give a shit about their family, mm -hmm. turn themselves into a great cook. Yeah, Nicole, uh, she's our essentially our executive chef, uh, lead chef instructor at uh, Create. She, uh, we actually met uh, a few years ago um, after my second back surgery. I had to leave uh, the industry as far as um, restaurants go. I couldn't, 
physically do the job anymore. I, I've, I have had a total of four back surgeries, by the way. Um, and this last one being a, a really nice one back a couple of years, or I should say two Decembers ago. Um, but Nicole, we actually met at a another defunct cooking school um, that was doing some professional programs, and she was in, in charge of their uh, pastry program. So she actually taught uh, baking and pastry uh, for a, like, I believe it was a 12-week uh, program. Uh, and we met, I was just kind of, at, th at this point, my wife had said, hey, you can't work, your, your body's not, is telling you you can't work your 80, 90 hours a week, you know, 70, 80, hour, 90 hours a week in, in restaurants online anymore. Um, so maybe you should teach. So shout out to my wife, Mackenzie, because if it wasn't for that talk, I would not be where we are now. I would not have met Nicole Swan either. Um, but Nicole, um, no, I noticed that she was like very diligent in her note-taking and her making sure that she's teaching correctly. Um, because I think as teachers, you know, that's the whole saying like those that can't do teach, um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're trying to prove that whole uh, phrasing wrong or that, that whole saying wrong. Um, and she wanted to make sure that she was passing down to her students uh, the correct information so that they could be set up to succeed in the real world. Um, and she had a personality to match. Like her personality is just, it's quirky, it's fun. Um, I, I like to call her Nervous Nelly because she always wants to make sure that everything's just perfectly done every time. And that's just, that's, that's an attribute that I just love. To see that much drive, that something's executed correctly, whether it's her hands doing it or someone else's. Like that's that's the type of drive I'd like to see in a lot of other people. Talk about her interaction with then uh, the students that you have at the school, right? Which uh, maybe paint just a little bit of picture of, of who these students are sure. that are coming in and doing the classes. I'm very interested is she creating that smile and smirk like you remember from the ice cream shop? Is that part absolutely. of the interaction that's encapsulated in what you guys are doing there absolutely and you know uh there there are guests the only difference is between us and a in a full restaurant bar is that we have our guests making their own meal which sounds a little backwards <laughs> honestly but when we have after she teaches a class um or during uh the class because we kind of sit down intermittently at, and enjoy the the uh, dishes that are, have been completed uh, our whole model is essentially like three hours, three dishes, um, whether it be an app, uh, a main and, and a dessert, uh, or just all it's a Kaya style, whatever it may be. Um, as she's going to the table to check in on them while she's kind of resetting the kitchen for the next course, they, they thank her, they clap for her, they smile, they say, thank you so much, this is amazing, as if she had just made it. Even though they know full well that they that they made the food, they put it together, they, they cut it, they, they sweated the onions, they, they built their perfect risotto, whatever it may be. They th end up thanking her, not necessarily for showing her, but as if she had made it for them. And that, you know, she brings this quirkiness and fun and approachability to each class with our guests, uh, where guests still feel that they're being served, even though they're making their own food. And I think, you know, that's something that we, we strive for every day, whether it's her teaching or myself or whatever it may be. Uh, Nicole's got it down to, to a science almost. And it's really nice. She talks a little bit about herself. She brings her quirkiness. People ask her questions. She tells her a little bit of life story. So as the, you know, the class is going on, the cooking class is going on, 
and people are enjoying their glasses of wine or cocktails, uh, she's telling some life stories and they're all just kind of amazed at what she's gone through as a chef, you know, starting so young at an early age. I believe she started when she was like 13 and working her way up um, slowly but surely to becoming a corporate executive chef for, you know, a big company to eventually coming to create cooking school. Like people will love to learn about her path. Yeah, that interaction point is is really key. I love that you call them guests. Sometimes in restaurants, we forget that they're guests, right? Like customers mm-hmm. will give you their money. Guests will give you their heart, their loyalty. Like right. I think, I think that's an important thing. So I like the way that you're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. It feels less transactional than potentially right. this. Come learn how to make so and so dish. It, it, sometimes those can feel very transactional. So I like that it's a little bit deeper. You guys are trying to get very meta in it, which I, which I can really appreciate. So uh, amazing to hear. I love that Nicole is getting uh, her dues from you, the quirkiness. I can tell the excitement that you have when you talk about somebody like her, where she's both organized, detailed, and quirky. That's a hard mm-hmm. balancing act to have mm-hmm. in the industry. And I like that you're setting a, uh, a platform for that kind of personality to come out, which is really, really great. All right need you to give us some words to live by you are quoting a very very wise individual in your words to live by something to take out in the world make it a better place you say do or do not there is no try by the one and only yoda tell us why that that quote is something that keeps you uh motivated and grounded for sure i mean honestly you know i i think it's topical because i i like i was telling you early i i I just watched all the Star Wars movies and, and shows in chronological order, um, which was a big task to bring on myself, but I enjoyed it. And I still remember just, I still get little, little chills, little goosebumps whenever he says, when Yoda says that to Luke. Uh, and I think the reason why is, well, I shouldn't say I think, I know the reason why is my, my dad said the same type of thing growing up. And it was, it was more of a, you know, if you're going to do something, just do it correctly or don't do it at all. You know what I mean? So, you know, if you're going to try to do something, make sure that you, you tried your best and that it comes out the way you envisioned it or, you know, as close to that, or just don't try it at all. Um, so whether give it, give, give it a hundred percent or give it nothing, you know, and I, I love that. And I love that, you know, it came back to me uh, when I was writing a business plan for create, but it came back to me when I was getting yelled at by chef Jeff Machete. When it comes back to me, whenever, you know, Chef Nicole and I and, and Chef Diego and I are talking about uh, new classes, like, if it's going to be done, let's make sure it's done right. And we give it 100% each time. I think that's, it's, I think that's a great way to live, you know. And now that I'm capable of doing certain things, too, in my personal life, with my recent back um, surgery, now that I'm capable of doing it, I am going to try and do it now. You know, whether it be riding my bike or doing that hike that I've been looking at for years. I haven't been able to. Yeah, I, I I love those those words to live by, and I love that it's you know part of a really cool franchise, and I'm kind of a proud nerd of said franchise. So, Graz, I am with you all the way. I like that you brought it back to the three wise men that clearly influenced your life, from your dad, the chef Jeff, to the one and only Yoda. Thank you so much for talking with us, for being on the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and I love what you're doing. Cheers. And we're back talking with Nicole Swan. 
who is Erasmo's nominee for one of his unsung hospitality heroes. Where are you from originally? I am from Marlboro, New York, which many people don't know where that is. Um, as being per New York, they think there's the city and then they think there's upstate, which is very few and far in between because there's a whole middle section. <laughs> I grew up basically in the Hudson Valley. Um, I grew up about two hours out of the city um, in a small basic farming community, not like farms where you think like animals and like livestock like here in Colorado, but it was basically all apple farms. First job in the industry, were you still in town there? Was it in New York? So this is, this is kind of funny. So I was 13 and I really wanted a job. You can get your working papers at 13. And so my dad came home one day and was like, I got you a job. And I'm like, oh no. Okay, where? And he's like, the farm market, you can walk there. And I was like, oh. Oh God, I've heard so many stories about this place. Basically, there's been a lot of girls in our school who had gone and worked there and they're like, oh, you know, the owner, she's really hard on you. Like you have to do things, you know, and I'm like, okay, whatever. But I was a little still intimidated being 13. And so I started working at this wonderful little farm market, basically on the corner of like 9W um, it's in between Marlboro and Newburgh. So it's just this tiny little thing like on the side of a main road. And I could walk there basically from our condos that we lived in. I go and work there and the owner is terrifying. She is very strict. She wants you to do everything that she wants. Like I started out by like folding laundry um, and doing dishes basically. Um, and whatever, I was like, okay, I'll just keep going back. And um, it turned out then that I became part of the family. And it was the most heartwarming community ever. I mean, I made turkey sandwiches in the morning that we sold for a dollar, mind you. So I had to make about 500 every Saturday and Sunday morning. Between making like apple cider donuts and pies, every time it hailed, I kind of cried inside a little because I knew boxes of apples were coming my way. Um, <laughs> uh, but I learned everything. I learned how to bake. I learned how to cook. I learned how to make people feel very like warm in a in an establishment um that i basically worked there until i graduated high school um at 17 and for that entire time basically they just kept giving me more and more tasks i would like run the register while they would go to church and basically run the back run the front they kind of let me do everything after a while this is such a more thoughtful and heartfelt first job like my first job was like oh yeah I got to drink and get fucked up and play with knives like that's why <laughs> I liked it and, and you're over here like building community as a 13 year old kid you're just, you're just making me feel good and bad about my life both simultaneously I am all about it I think that's really really great so you just had wholehearted connection that you had to hospitality you're running the, the cooking school as if it's actually a restaurant where you have guests, the difference is that they're cooking their own meal and that your ability to just connect with people on a human level, create levity and, and just that genuine, authentic building of community is what I'm now understanding is just innate in you. So maybe touch on that a little bit, the community that you're building there, and then let's, uh, let's talk about Raz a little bit. We love okay. isms on this show. So anything good, anything juicy, you have for us on Raz. This is your chance to show him some love and to Raz him a little bit too. So give it to us. But start with that community that you're building there. 
why that's so important to you, to Raz, to create cooking school? You know, we, we live in a city that's very vast and far. Basically, you say Denver and it encapsulates everything. Your Aurora, your, you know, Highlands, basically everywhere up here basically is, is considered the Denver area. And you don't get a lot of community as much anymore. Um, and I think that's something that we want to try to have over at the Stanley Marketplace with Create Cooking School is someplace people feel like they can just come and hang out at. They don't necessarily have to take a cooking class. They can just drop in and do work and sit at our bar or they can come in and they've had a long day and they can get a drink and they know that this is a place where they can just sit and chill and aren't going to be bothered for that time while they're there or you know they're passing through and they just want you know to hang out with six people that they're with and have a mezza platter and enjoy just like some time some downtime um meanwhile at the same time we're also doing a cooking school but in when we bring people into the cooking school it's like we want them to feel at home we don't want them to feel like this is going to be work necessarily like oh god i have to cook like no you don't have to stress out about it like we want you to have a good time we want you to have fun we want you to relax we want you to feel as like this is going to be no different than if you were to go out to a restaurant and just be sitting there to eat at the same time so like we always make sure that the dining room is set for everybody. They have a warm welcome when they come in. We like to make sure that they have like something to eat before we even get into the kitchen, make sure everyone's content. And then like we go into the kitchen and from there, my entire thing is about personal experiences. And I think that that's completely, um, you know, how the entire create team thinks. And like, I like to make sure that these people, one, Food is something that either terrifies people or really engages people. And I want them to feel engaged by it. Something that they're going to remember when they leave. Um, you know, working in food in so many different places, you have the ones where you put out food and you never hear or see or anything and the people don't care and you're basically just feeding the masses. Um, and then you have where you can do personal experiences and you know, it like lift up their spirits. It doesn't even have to be something like crazy. Like, you know, it's their birthday. So making sure that you wish them a happy birthday when they come in or like making sure that somehow their spirit experience has been taken to a next level rather than just, oh, you're going to come in. You're going to listen to me babble for three hours and basically tell you what to do. And then you go home still hospitality right it's still that high touch i think is valuable no matter no matter what the arena is and especially if you're in a cooking school like you are there may be some preconceived notions of that you're just going and then you're going to be paint by numbers for the next three hours to your points and then take your salsa and go home and, and forget about it and never care about it again but for you it's really about hospitality creating that experience. I like it. It makes sense to me again. Now hearing some of your origin story. All right. Give us a, give us some isms. Give us some Raz. What is it like working with him? Uh, having somebody like that leading a concept that's thinking a little bit differently in that space or, or what's some goofy stuff you always have to Raz him on, on so the day to day. Just for a little back, back, back history here. Um, so when me and Raz met, 
we didn't realize just how small the culinary world was in Denver, I don't think. We met and we would talk about our friend Michael, both of us, not realizing it was the same person until one day it clicked and we were like, we're talking about the same person. And we took a picture and sent it to him. And he was like, what are you two doing together? And we're like, you idiot. Like we both told you where we were working. How did you not tell us that we were working together? Speaking of small culinary community, but that was fun to learn that we both had a very, very mutual friend um, when we were working together at the first cooking school that we worked together at. And from there, I mean, I saw his passion and drive even when working with people there, um, that when they decided, him and Diego decided that they wanted to open this cooking school. I mean, I've been excited since the moment that they told me. So since the moment that I heard about that, I have been super excited and have been waiting for them to open the school because I wanted to see what they would come up with. Raz is definitely a think out of the box kind of person, which is super nice. Um, he's very detail oriented. So like he will definitely notice things that other people don't, um, which is something that I think you need, especially when starting out with a brand new business. Because of that, we definitely like to call him dad, which is a lot of fun too. But I think everyone needs one of those, especially when like it comes to being all about the people. And I think that that's one thing that he conveys more so than anything else is it's all about the people that come into the place. It doesn't matter in anything about us or anything like that. It's about who comes in and how you're going to make them feel very comfortable. And, and I think he does a really good job with that, with not only the atmosphere of Create Cooking School, but he does that through his bar menus that he puts so much time and thought and effort into. It's crazy because I've been working back at the house for my entire life, and I've been running my own kitchens since before I turned 21. It was really interesting to watch him create these bar menus, and they'd be like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to make something. And I was like, oh, I get to play behind the bar. Okay, cool basically all of the bar stuff. I had no idea how to make a drink whatsoever at all. So that has been a lot of fun in the last year is to definitely learn how to be a mixologist, something I've never gotten to like experience just because of how long I've been doing back of the house for. When you're talking about it's all about the people, it's clear that that is the bedrock of what you guys are trying to accomplish. The food that you're actually cooking is just the medium to be able to create that human connection. So glad I now and anybody who listens to this is going to call him dad. I thought Raz was a good nickname. Now I'm calling him dad, which is amazing. <laughs> so thank you for that. Nicole Swan, thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.